children wait in the water. Gods are gonna trouble the water. See that band all dressed in white. Gods are gonna trouble the water. The leader looks like the Israelite. Gods are gonna trouble the water. Hello, welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And in this episode, I will continue my look at uh, the slave narratives published by the Library of America. Um, and we are at the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh one. But we skipped William Mills Brown because we already did that uh, uh, like a couple years ago. So, um, yeah. And we're with Sojourner Truth. To be honest, this is like the hardest of these to for me to kind of get my head around and to, to deal with. Um, I mean, her, her life experience is so different from that of some of these other narratives and that she's, she's actually freed by, uh, by gradual emancipation in New York prior to Nat Turner's revolt. Uh, this was published in 1850. Uh, and of course, Sojourner Truth was illiterate. So this was, uh, this was uh, worked on with... Um, with another writer um, who actually like took down Sojourner Truth's stories and, and then wrote it. Um, it's written not in um, first person, like most of these slave narratives, it's written in third person narration. So it's not like she told her story, it's like, and, and someone wrote it word for word. Um, like Grossenau's was apparently that way, even though Grossenau was literate. Uh, Sojourner Truth uh, didn't just like open her mouth and, 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 and say something. Someone else wrote it down. It was like processed by another writer who writes it in third person. Uh, and of course, her name for most of her life was Isabel. Um, so that's how she goes by. And in some ways, this reads more like a, <coughs> excuse me, a superhero origin story in that it's like how she became Sojourner Truth. Um, it's less about how she became free it's less about like even the experience of slavery and of course you get that from her speeches it's it's a powerful part of her her message but in this narrative it's it, it's it really is more about her coming to to the realization of this mission um, in that sense maybe it has more in common with uh, the the Nat Turner I mean in that sense both are related related by other writers based on conversations with with the person both are heavily heavily like religiously informed and it grows now too i suppose fits into that uh it's in in as strong as sojourner truth is as an abolitionist and she does have her polemics against slavery here um it, it's hard to see that as the core of it the way it is for like henry bibb um focusing on marriage and slavery uh, William Wells Brown and Frederick Douglass, all of who are really emphasizing the, you know, just the moral, you know, the moral problems with slavery and exposing to this country. This is really about Sojourner Truth, um, I think. Um, that said, it, it's kind of interesting, but it, it's it's not as maybe easy for me to talk about. Um, in a way, we don't have clear chapter breaks. We just have like little subheadings throughout it. Um, now, Sojourner's Truth's life, if you don't know, is um, of course she's 
she's a New York slave. Um, she had many children. Um, and she freed herself, so she did run away from slavery in 1826. Two years later, she was formally freed, as were all the slaves in New York. There was a gradual emancipation scheme uh, done there. That's how slavery ended in New York. And it's just a, an aside, a reminder that slavery in Pennsylvania and New York remained until well into the into the antebellum period, well into the post-revolutionary. In, in the case of New York, we're talking about 50 years after the Declaration of Independence and 50 years after slavery ended in places like Vermont. And, well, Vermont, not so much, but uh, New Hampshire. Um, there, there were states in New England that, that abolished slavery with their original state constitutions, right, or very shortly after. So, uh, and of course you have the, the, the Northwest Territories, which were slave-free from the get-go, right, from the beginning by law, by congressional law. So, you know, 40, 50 years after slavery was ending in some parts of the North in the American, due to the American Revolution, you still have slavery. Um, I wouldn't say alive and well in New York, but, but alive, certainly, um, and, and still exploiting people. And, and I think that's a use of this, is, is Sojourn Truth is, her story reminds us that slavery's evils extended to the North, um, just as much to the South. Um, but again, that's not the real focus of the story, frankly. Um, I really do see it more of as like a, uh, how she becomes Sojourner Truth. But, um, okay, anyways, uh, she's also famous, of course, for uh, challenging the enslavement of one of her children um, and challenging it uh, in court and winning and winning the freedom of her child. Um, I don't, I don't know about her whole family history and all her children. Um, uh, some of that is, is talked about here, but there's a bunch of them and I don't know how they all ended up, but of course, Sojourner Truth herself, uh, came to the realization that she had a divine mission to leave the city. And there's a lot here about her life as a free black woman in New York and the struggle she faces as a free black woman i think that's another contribution of this of this narrative but she finally realizes that she has to go on the road and be the itinerant preacher essentially and, and that's how she's most well known of course with her public speaking she never becomes literate she uh is emphasizing this gendered aspect of of, of slavery with her famous ain't i woman speech you know exposing the you know the I mean, the argument here with ain't I, ain't I a woman essentially is like you have this idea of of womanhood versus malehood, the separate spheres idea of antebellum America, the idea that women have this social role and men have this social role. And these other narratives break that down in significant ways by saying like, yeah, you, you know, especially Henry Bibb, I think, does that. But Sojourner Truth is just coming right out and saying like, like, do you know, can you be, are you a woman? <clears throat> when your back is torn up are you a woman when you're we're treated this way and it's like not by the standards of white society at the time right and and harry jacobs does the same thing i mean so much of the criticism the the attacks on slavery are leveled through the language of separate spheres and antebellum reform movements and things and of course antebellum abolitionism is the pinnacle of antebellum reform struggles so it's of course you hack that uh in your in your attacks um anyways um let's where should we start uh 
Yeah, it's all written in second person, so I'll, I'll quote a bit for you so you get an idea here of, of, of how the writing is. She came to the conclusion uh, that she had been taking part in a great drama, which was in itself but one great system of robbery and wrong. Yes, she said, the rich rob the poor and the poor rob each one another. True, she has not received labor from others and stinted their pay, and she felt as she had felt practiced against her. But she did not take their work from them, which was their only means to get money, and it was the same to them in the end. For instance, a gentleman where she lived would give her a half dollar to hire a poor man to clear the new fallen snow from the sidewalks. She would arise early and perform the labor herself, putting the money into her own pocket. And quote. So there's an interesting thing here about how she's uh, getting work for herself. She's working around a racist system to, to get a little work for herself, and sexist, I presume. Um, but moving on. But in her retrospect, she thought of all the misery she might have been adding to in her selfish grasping. And it troubled her conscience sorely. And this insensibility to the claims of human brotherhood and all the wants of destitute and wretched poor she now saw, as she had never done before, to the unfeeling, selfish, and wicked. End quote. So this heavy, heavy, like, moral, uh, like, like, uh, seriousness throughout this, the text. Not that the others don't have it, but this one is written with a with a thicker kind of uh, miasma of, of 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 moral judgment and introspection and reflection um, on, on almost every page, um, which I believe it really must have been Sojourner Truth's like words. I don't think they were that transformed by by um, by the author. The formal, I mean, she's essentially the author, I, I guess, but it was, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was helped out. I should, I should, I, what's his name? The, the Library of America doesn't even use his name. I had to look it up. Olive Gilbert is, uh, is, is her friend. Um, this is like self-published book. Um, anyways. Um, now. I guess for the story of slavery, the most significant aspect of her narrative is her experience of being enslaved in New York until 1829, um, which of course reminds us that the line between slavery and freedom in most of American history and for most Americans was pretty thin. Uh, the idea of a, of a free North and a slave South is, is, is overly simplistic, simplistic, a little reductive, and, and imposing a uh, 1860 view of the world, an 1861 view of the world. Uh, now, this anthology does not include 12 Years a Slave, um, which in a way, uh, that person is, uh, Solomon Northrop was a slave, he was made into a slave from being a free, but he was legally free, he was never legally a slave, which is a little bit different from these other characters we have, uh, we're reading about. Um, but it makes a similar case that there's no clear line between slavery and freedom if a black person can just be enslaved at a, at a moment's notice, just kidnapped, essentially. Um, but these slave narratives in general show how easy it is to fall into slavery and out. I think Henry Bibbs' narrative does this, too, uh, showing his escape, return to slavery, his kidnapping, his changing masters, all that. Um, you know, Henry Bibb was free and, and became a slave again, you know, in, a, in kind of a similar way to Solomon, Solomon Northrop. Even going through kind of a uh, jail and and you know at least with Bibb's case he he really was legally still a slave unlike uh, Solomon Northrop but 
Um, but the lesson here, clear in all these narratives, is that no black person in, in pre-Civil War America was free, unless that freedom was voluntarily given by whites. Um, and, and of course, that's the context by which we must remember Frederick Douglass purchased his, his freedom, right? Um, which cheesed off some abolitionists. Um, now, Sojourner Truth uh, actually makes this point in the title of this narrative, uh, saying it's called Emancipated from Bodily Servitude by the State of New York. Um, so her freedom ultimately is given by others, um, which is narratively a little bit different from how some of these others... She has a right to say she freed herself. She did run away from slavery. She did escape on her own. But, but most of these narratives are somehow like, I was a slave, I got free. I, I freed myself. But are you ever really free unless, in, in, a, in a slave society, unless you, you have the paper, right? You have the paperwork. And, and I, I think she's reminding us of that brutal truth. Um, now, of course, there's a lot here as well about how vicious and degrading life could be in the United States for even a free black woman. And I think that's a lot of the power of the narrative, actually. The, the cruel moral choices. The thing I quoted before is just about the choices she had to make as a free black woman um, just to survive, you know. Um, the story is told in the third person, uh, obviously. Uh, we got her birth name, Isabella. So she, that's why I do think there's, this does kind of read sometimes as a, as a superhero origin myth, um, where she becomes Sojourner Truth. Uh, such a dramatic name, right? It's, 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 a, it's an amazing choice of a, of a name. Gets right to the, gets right to the point. It's a great, it's a great uh, name for an abolitionist speaker. Uh, a stroke of brilliance, actually, to, to choose that. And she uses small vignettes instead of chapters to break up her story. So the chapters are things like her brothers and sisters, the auction, the last days of Bonfree, the death of Bonfree, uh, the trials of Isabella. That's the trial in which she, um, or the commencement on Isabel's trials in life. The trial where she secured the freedom of her child is here too. Her escape. Um, um, death of Miss Eliza Fowler. So it's like little vignettes in her life and it's scattered throughout. We don't get a, a straight narrative as much as we get these little bits, which also you get the idea that she was sitting talking uh, about this to her friend, that Gilbert guy, and, and he just, you know, processed that and, and, and wrote those down. Which is how we get to know people, right? We get to know people that way through through stories. We never get the full narrative. We, we can get that if we read an autobiography. Um, but the normal way we get to know people is bits and pieces, right? We ask questions, reflect on their life, ask follow-ups, you know, you know, get little pieces over time. Um, now, she was born in the late 18th century, so she's, she's older than most of these other um, antebellum um, slaves that we're reading about um obviously a time when slavery was still a major institution in the northern states her enslaved parents spoke dutch uh i don't think she did uh new york and of course there's many dutch in new york and it was colonized by the dutch initially uh new york at the time was a society with slaves if we want to use ira berlin's definition i uh, remember in generations of captivity and many thousands gone he talks about the difference between a slave society and a society with slaves. He defines New York as a society with slaves or with slavery, which means it's not the primary institution of the society like it was in the South. 
but it was close. It, it was like a, you know, pretty, it's a near call for a historian to make, you know, that there's enough significance of slavery. Uh, enough, not enough that they could, that they could get rid of it, but it was a struggle and it took a very, very long time to get rid of slavery. Um, now, this distinction doesn't really matter uh, to Sojourner Truth, to Isabella and her parents, who endured all the violence and exploitation of slavery as if they lived in Alabama or Mississippi uh, or South Carolina. Uh, despite uh, the importance of, of New York's um, law to, to abolish slavery in, in 1828, uh, of course, Isabella was promised her freedom earlier than this, uh, but due to an injury that rendered her less productive, her master kept her in slavery until the end. Um, and of course, she had to like get her freedom uh, on her own a, a year or so before this. So it was done in fact. Um, this event reflects uh, one of Truth's arguments about the one-sided nature of slavery, that there's no contract, there's no contract law, there's no law defending enslaved men and women. It's just, if, if law listens to you at all, it, it's pure luck that, that um, gets you there. Um, now, the reliance on the state for freedom is, is no more self-assured as we see the sale of Isabella's son to the Deep South. This is what, of course, brings her to um, the courts. Um, it's forbidden in the law. It was forbidden in the law ending slavery to 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 sell people to the South. This was uh, obviously anyone could see this coming, right? If you say slavery is going to end in 1828 in New York, all the people who own slaves are going to sell their slaves to the to the South, uh, where they can make money. Because um, I think New York was uncompensated emancipation, but it was gra it was graduated in, right, to make it palatable to to slaveholders. But of course, if you allow, they're just going to sell them. But the law said, no, you can't do that. Um, but her son was sold, and it took a struggle. It took an additional struggle. She had to, you know, levy, you know, lawsuits and things to bring him out of slavery. But this is all a sign of just how weak the law can be in the face of the interest with those with money and power. I mean, whatever happened, what happened to Sojourner's truth? son probably happened to many other people in in new york at the time um, now we get this nice quote here that speaks to the fate of freed men and women in a society actively defending the rights of slavers and the consumers of of humanity through slavery quote we have now seen isabella her youngest daughter and her only son in possession of at least their nominal freedom it has been said that the freedom of the most free of the colored people of this country is but nominal and limited at, stinted and limited as it is at best it's an immense remove from child slavery this fact is disputed i know and quote like this this quote goes back and forth where she says on the one hand you know it's better than being a slave but some people actually say it's not that much better right there's that famous book is that also ira berlin um slaves without masters which is about free slaves in the south but to some degree that's this narrative shows that might be true to um, um you know in new york as well now there's that's the first half of the book the second half of the book gets into her um i don't want to say religious conversion but I mean, she does sort of have a, a religious rebirth anyways. She's a, a product of the Second Great Awakening. And 
and that was leads her in become sojourner truth and to seek out uh you know and to challenge the system on the road in the countryside she actually goes into the countryside like like jesus into the wilderness almost um she's is she a religious you know a little bit on that side of like religious zealotry i i don't know no more than john brown i guess it it's religion is just a deeper part of her identity and her experience uh maybe like nat turner it's religion's really driving her to action um but you know religion happens to do that and and, I, and i'm there was a time in my life i may have been more bothered by by the way she uses a religion manifests uh in in this way like it consumes her identity not that her arguments or the, the goals are, i disagree with one bit but uh the way she's like consumed by by her religious identity but those days are long past for me i am uh, much more comfortable with with religion than i was you know 20 years ago so um oh th another thing to say the very last chapter here which the last couple chapters we have the camp we have a camp meeting where she's actually in one of these second grade awakening rural uh revivals um giving her her speech and of course it's at a place like that she gives her anti-woman speech but the very last chapter is her last interview with her master um, which uh which happened in 1849 which was of course 21 years after slavery ended in new york and I guess we have time to read a little bit of this. Uh, in the spring of 1849, Sojourner made her visit to her eldest daughter, Diana, who had been ever suffered from ill health and remained with Mr. Dunmont, Isabella's humane master. She found him still living, though advanced in age and reduced in property, but greatly enlightened on the subject of slavery. He said he could see that slavery was the wickedest thing in the world, the very cures, uh, the, the greatest curse the earth had ever felt, that it was then very clear to his mind that it was so, though while he was a slaveholder himself, he did not see it so, and thought it was as right as holding any other property. Sojourner remarked to him that it might be the same to those who are now slaveholders. Oh no, he replied with warmth, it cannot be, for now the sin of slavery is so clearly written out and so much talked against, that if anyone says he does not know or has not heard, he must, I think, be a liar." Quote. So what, I don't know if this is fabricated or not, uh, of course, this is like second, third hand by this point, right? So we got Sojourner talking about this interview to Gilbert and Gilbert writing it down here. Um, but it's so, uh, it's, it's like, it's like fucking Paul or something, right? Saying once we know the truth, anyone who hears the truth will, will, will convert to, to be a follower of Christ or whatever, right? That's what he's saying about the abolitionist doctrines. Like the South, now it's delusional, right? Like the Deep South wasn't any, even were close to, if anything, they're going the other direction by the, in the 1840s and 1850s of saying, no, slavery is, is essential to our nation and essential to our survival as a country and, and, our, and our culture. But she's coming at this as, as the evangelical, right? as someone who had the conversion experience as um with the godly mission um well she goes on yes reader if anyone feels that the toxin of alarm or the anti-slavery trump must sound a louder note before they can hear you one would think they must be very hard of hearing yea they belong in that class of whom it may 
truly said, have they stopped their ears that they may not hear? Um, that's a biblical reference, Zechariah 7. Um, it's also in Acts um, chapter 7. Let me find the exact quote here, if I can. Um, yeah, here it is. Look, he said, this is the stoning of Stephen. Look, he said, so this must be Stephen saying it. Uh, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and cried out in a loud voice and rushed together him. Um, so, um, yeah, the, the, full, the, the actual original Old Testament quote is Zechariah 7.11. But they refused to hearken and pulled away their shoulders and stopped their ears that they could not hear. Um, so she's saying there's no excuse for the pro-slavery argument anymore. Um, true enough, but the idea that somehow this message, uh, this truth, right? Her name's truth. Uh, will will convert hearts is very optimistic. It, it makes for a good narrative here, um, but it just shows how much she's being driven by like this religious motivation. Um, anyways, awesome, awesome slave narrative. I, I think it's 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 different it's a little bit harder to 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 talk about than the others but um i certainly enjoyed it um so next we're going to have one of what i think is one of the funnest um which is it's more like a it's, it's more like a little adventure story it's, it's quite short um only 50 pages or so maybe 60. it's called running a thousand miles for freedom by um william and ellen Kraft. so we got um I think William Kraft wrote it, but, but the title sort of gives dual ownership to William and Ellen Kraft. The title's actually William and Ellen Kraft Escape from Slavery. Um, no real author here on the title of the page. So I assume uh, William wrote it, but he, he kind of does give Ellen, his wife, a, a part of the byline here um, because they, they escape together. So it's kind of like Bib, but if uh, in that it's about trying to escape with one's wife, but it's successful. and. And it's it's more of a like an it's got like action stories elements to it, um, so it's it's a lot more fun. Um, so we're gonna read that one before we get to the much heavier Harry Jacobs. Yeah, that one may take two episodes. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So, anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, let me know what you think of the narrative of Sojourner Truth. Um, yeah, I'll see you next time. God's a gonna trouble the water. Ooh, it looks like the band that Moses led. God's a gonna trouble the water. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa,